It will be wall-to-wall football over the next five days as there are plenty of games to discuss, including a matchup to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the most iconic play in league history. Sadly, Franco Harris, the legendary Steeler running back who caught the Immaculate Reception, dies at the age of 72. I'll have all of that as well as the new evil empire in baseball. Not the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Padres, but the Mets. As they sign another high-priced free agent in Carlos Correa to an already exorbitant payroll. Think I have a thing or two to say about this? The NBA prepares for their signature scheduled day on Christmas as a shadow to the NFL on Sunday. The Suns have a new owner as we say good riddance to Robert Sarver and his executives. The Masters tell the Live Golf players, come on down to Augusta in April. Will the PGA, US Open, and Open Championship follow suit? The sports tree is trimmed, the red and green lights are flashing, and the star on top is shining bright. A very festive, but a possible appearance by the Grinch may be forthcoming. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. With Christmas just days away, I'm delivering some early gifts and a few blocks of cold throughout the sports landscape. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. For starters, I want to wish a very happy birthday to my younger sister, Natalie. Today, she turns 31. I know I'm shouting out her age. You're not supposed to do that to a young woman like herself, but I do have to wish her a happy birthday and many, many more to you, girl. I love you. Number two, with Christmas coming, I want to wish everyone a happy, healthy, safe Christmas, the rest of Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, a happy holidays. We understand in this politically correct world that we live in, we have to pretty much blanket everything when it comes to the holiday season, but for those who celebrate whatever day and whatever season, I wish you a happy, healthy, and safe one. Eat, drink, maybe not overdo it, be merry, so I want to get that out of the way before we kick off on some sports talk. And yesterday morning was very interesting for yours truly because as I open up my app and take a look at what's happening in the sports landscape and two things just jumped right out at me. The first one was the breaking news, Carlos Correa signing a 12-year, $315 million deal with the Mets. And if you could only imagine, yours truly, not only the jaw hit the bottom of the floor, but on top of that, I didn't even know what to think considering that the Mets have already spent a boatload of money this offseason. And for them to now go ahead and get a player who obviously is a shortstop and is not going to replace the current shortstop that they have and oh by the way that they paid 10 years and 341 million dollars for but it just made me think that the Mets have now gotten to themselves a point where the sports world and including the baseball world in particular 
are going to look at the Mets as a big giant bullseye. And I'm going to explain that later on. But the other shocking news, Tuesday afternoon, I was listening to an interview on Sirius XM, my guy, Mad Dog Russo, who I love going back to his days at WFAM with Mike and the Mad Dog. And in the 3.30 time slot, he had Franco Harris, the legendary longtime Steeler running back, going back to the 70s, number one pick, Penn State, You know the whole deal when it comes to number 32, Franco's army there in Pittsburgh. And being interviewed for what will be tomorrow, the 50th anniversary, the game between the Oakland Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the division playoff back 50 years ago where the immaculate reception took place at the old Three Rivers Stadium. And I'm sure... He has been broached all the questions you could possibly imagine throughout his football life, which I might add is also going to be aired on NFL Network tomorrow, which, of course, as I mentioned, on the day of the famous play in the history of the NFL and was ranked number one all time in the sport. So with this big giant buildup leading to this day and then subsequently the day after on Christmas Eve, you're going to have the Raiders play the Steelers to commemorate everything that has taken place with this play, with this player, and just the rivalry between the Raiders and Steelers going back five decades. It was going to be a celebration, not to say unlike any other, but just to reflect back on that play. We've seen the video a thousand times over. And now it gets to a point where for those who were alive, and I was just three years old, so obviously I was way too young to watch or even get a grasp of what this play meant, not only just at that time, but when you think about it, the whole Steeler dynasty that followed for the rest of the 70s and, of course, one of the cornerstone franchises in the NFL. But with all that being said, Franco's answering all these questions about the play, about the aftermath 50 years later, et cetera, et cetera. And then to see that he had passed away somewhere in the middle of the night, Tuesday into Wednesday morning. Not only does it make you think about life itself and how precious it is and how we must be present. And you know, I'm always pushing that narrative, people. To always stay present. Don't look too far ahead. Don't look behind. Yes, you can reflect. And yes, you can try to forecast what may be coming down the road, depending on what it is that you want to do in your life. But as we all know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And to think that throughout the course of this interview, there were parts where Franco didn't seem to be as coherent. And I'm not trying to diagnose from afar that something was wrong or there was maybe an issue that was unbeknownst to everybody out there when it comes to his health. Because from what I've heard over the last 24 hours, that is, was pretty much in good condition. You know, it's not as if he was suffering or there was something that was going on behind the scenes that obviously nobody was privy to. But to read that and to know that not even 16 hours prior to, 17 hours, that I just finished listening to an interview that had taken place and then now all of a sudden, he's passed away. And we could talk about Franco's career we could talk about all the pro bowls the super bowls him being a super bowl mvp and super bowl nine against the vikings rushing for 158 yards which was at the time a super bowl record all the rushing records that he has in super bowl history the most rushing yards 354 even more than emmett smith i might add and for everything that he embodied and remind you when this play took place this was before lynn swan john stallworth Jack Lambert, a lot of the iconic and Hall of Fame Steelers weren't even on that team. Yes, Terry Bradshaw was there. Obviously, he was the quarterback that threw the pass on 4th and 10. There were 22 seconds remaining. And, of course, we could talk about the play ad infinitum, but, again, there's a lot of other things to discuss that I have to get to. But just to know that a guy who was here just, it seemed like a second ago, and then just like that, he's gone. And with everything that is, as I mentioned, leading up to not only the anniversary tomorrow 
And of course, the game between the Raiders and Steelers on Saturday to where they were going to even retire his number. And there have only been two Steelers in the history of their franchise that have had their numbers retired. That is Ernie Stoutner, who was a defensive tackle in the 50s and early 60s, and then Mean Joe Green. And when you think about their illustrious history, no, not Terry Bradshaw, no, not Jack Lambert, no, not Jack Ham. Go on down the line, Mel Blunt, 47. None of those guys have their jerseys retired. And Franco was going to have his day on the anniversary of this famous play, or the day after. And then, of course, the football life, which is going to be aired tomorrow night, which I'm sure NFL Films, they're probably trying to get as many people as possible to edit the ending, because I'm sure the ending, which was, I believe, I haven't seen it, or I have no clue as to how it's going to end, but you know it's going to be a very happy, uplifting ending, but now it's going to be somber. And I'm sure they're working frantically, as I speak, you would think, to try to put together the final few minutes of this Football Life episode to not only celebrate him, but also to honor him. And for what he meant to the city, that particular game, the Steelers from that point on, and how many lives he touched, and how all the stories that have been pouring over the last 24 hours plus about how gentle he was, how warm, inviting, all of it. And it's just so sad that he's not going to have his day. And he was just literally hours away from celebrating that. And it's just a terrible story, no matter how you cut it. And the cause of his death is unknown at the moment. So we don't know what had transpired late Tuesday into early Wednesday morning. To the entire Harris family, to the Steeler family, to the NFL, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to you and the mark that you left. And what more can I say as there's going to be a ton of heavy hearts not only watching the football life, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to gravitate to for those who have the NFL network. And then on top of that, I know a lot of football fans are going to tune in to watch that game, which is a standalone game. It's on Christmas Eve, 8-15, and I believe it's NFL Network. I don't think it's going to be on network TV. But I'm sure a lot of people are going to tune in because there is going to be just a lot of tears, but a lot of wonderful memories knowing that the number 32 is going to be retired and that he's going to be remembered forever, not only in that city, but of course, throughout the league. And as I pivot to what's going to take place over the course of week 16, and you have a very good one tonight, who would have thought this three, four months ago, where Jacksonville is coming right across the river to MetLife to play the Jets in what's in essence a do-or-die game for the Jets because this is their final home game of the season. Their final two games are at Seattle, which they're going to be fighting for their playoff lives, and then at Miami, which could be for a possible final playoff spot in the AFC. And no Mike White, who has not recovered from his bruised ribs. So you're going to have Zach Wilson again front and center to see if he could try to deliver his team a victory. And a very interesting storyline is going to take place because you have to remember, last year in the draft, these are your number one and number two quarterbacks going head-to-head. And based on what Trevor Lawrence has done in Jacksonville over the last few weeks with the big wins that he's had under his belt. And now Zach Wilson, who's trying to add some oxygen into his career because of what has taken place here over the last few weeks and the game that he had on Sunday, not great, not terrible, somewhere in between, maybe so-so. And now he's going to have to really play at an all-time level. And I'm not trying to say he has to go 30 for 35 with five touchdowns and throw for 400 yards, but he's going to have to put himself in position to, of course, not just win the game, but play well and not make the bad mistake or the boneheaded throw or cough up the football in a big spot. He's going to have to play near flawless football. Where on the other side of the field, you have a guy that's playing with good confidence. The team knows that they have 
a puncher's chance to win a division considering the news that has come out of Tennessee over the last couple of days where Ryan Tannehill is very likely to miss the rest of the regular season because of a ankle injury that he suffered against the Chargers when Khalil Mack fell on top of him. So I'm sure the Jaguars and their camp are thinking, hey, if we could get this win, and Tennessee, although they're hosting Houston over the weekend, but they have Malik Willis at quarterback, and he hasn't lit the world on fire in a couple of games that he's played in a Titan uniform. So I would think that the Jaguars are going to come in here and try to do business to get themselves at 500 or a game closer to 500 because they'd be 7-8. and eight. And the Jets, who are at 500, are trying to get above that, knowing that the last two games on the road aren't going to be cupcakes. So that's your Week 16 kickoff, and a very good one, although it may not be a sexy Kansas City at Buffalo or Philadelphia playing at San Francisco, but this is one that a lot of people are going to watch, especially in this neck of the woods here in New York, but a good way to kick off a Week 16, which has four of the next five days with NFL football. So even though it's a holiday, and even though there's going to be a lot of travel in between, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of wives, including my own, that are going to be saying, wait a minute, there's more football that's being played? Now the good thing is Christmas Day is laughable. And I'll get to that later on when it comes to the NBA. But Christmas Day, you have Green Bay at Miami, which is a fairly good game because for those who want to believe that the Packers, who are not mathematically out of it, but the Dolphins need the game in the worst way only because they had lost those three key games on the road as we talked about over the last couple of weeks and in particular on Monday. And now they're going to have to right the ship to see if they could win in their building knowing that they have to go to New England and then face the Jets at home in the final three games of their season. So, all right, we can look at that game at 1 o'clock and say, not bad. But it just gets worse from there. Denver at the Rams, you can forget about it. And Matthew Stafford said he's not going to go off into retirement even at the age of 34. And why would he? He just signed an $160 million contract, which God knows how much of it is guaranteed. So you think he's going to just all of a sudden walk away from whatever was guaranteed in $160 million over the next two or three years? No chance. And then to not have Russell Wilson there to be your starting quarterback, who knows, he may end up playing, but I don't think he's going to. That is one you're going to bypass. You might as well watch Bucks Celtics at 5 o'clock. And then the nightcap in Arizona where Colt McCoy is not your starting quarterback. Obviously, Kyler Murray isn't your starting quarterback. So if you're going to wonder, all right, who do I got for Arizona that's going to be under center? It's going to be none of those two guys to go up against Tom Brady and the wounded Buccaneers who are pretty much gasping for air and fighting for their division playoff lives. And you would have to think that they are going to come out to be victorious in this game against a third-string quarterback where if the Buccaneers can't come out of this game alive, you would think that there is no hope for them to win a division. And even if they do, they're going to be short-lived even with a home game. I mean, think about that. They're actually going to have a home game in the postseason if they do happen to cross the finish line by the hairs of their chinny-chin-chin. But let's face it. They may not be long for this postseason based on the way they've played here down the stretch. And oh, by the way, if you're wondering who the starting quarterback is going to be in his first ever NFL start, it's going to be Trace McSorley. No, not Marty McSorley, the former Edmonton Oiler, LA King, rugged defenseman. No, not he. Trace McSorley, the former Penn State quarterback who was a Raven once upon a time, a couple of years back, and now is going to be under center in your 820 Christmas nightcap game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers under center, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to say pass. Let me see who's going to be playing in the 8 o'clock matchup in the NBA schedule window. So I know I jumped ahead from Thursday night to Sunday only because Sunday's games are just an absolute joke and I wouldn't even bother. But when we get to the bulk of what the NFL schedule will be, and that's Christmas Eve, The games that you have of note, we have to say Houston at Tennessee only because even if Jacksonville loses tonight, Tennessee will put themselves in good stead if they do beat the 
Texans because they'll have a two-game lead. They won't clinch the division because, remember, Jacksonville did beat the Titans earlier, a couple of weeks ago, in fact. So even if they're two out with two to go, they would have to run the table. And, of course, Tennessee would have to lose their following game, which would be a home game on a short week against Dallas, which could be possible. So by any means, if Jacksonville loses and if Tennessee wins, the division is not a formality. So that's one game we'll have to keep an eye on. The Giants go to Minnesota. That's a game that we're certainly going to focus on because the Giants, who got the big win against Washington on Sunday night, if they want to keep themselves in good standing in the NFC, a win against the Vikings, who, as we all know, could be up and down. And we've seen it here over the last few weeks. Down 33 nothing with the miraculous comeback. Getting blasted by the Cowboys 40-3. And not only that, but also losing to the Lions in between that. So you're not going to know what you're going to get when it comes to the Vikings. So the Giants could go in there and win. And of course, as we all know, the Vikings are trying to stay in that two seed, knowing that the Niners are breathing down their neck, where the Niners are going to host the Washington football team, and they're trying to keep themselves in the thick of things when it comes to the bottom rung of the NFC playoff picture. So that's a big game for Taylor Heineke and the Commanders, because with that loss the other day, they want to... Keep ahead of the Detroits, the Seattles of the world. With that tie, it does help them. So that is a huge game for the Commanders. The 425 Philadelphia Dallas loses a lot of its luster because of Jalen Hurts and his sprained right shoulder. If I'm Nick Sirianni, the coach, I would just put him on ice. Let him rest for a week. Let's see what happens the week after when the Saints come marching into Philadelphia, followed by the Giants the week after. So no rush because they do have a two-game lead in the NFC. If they play it smart, they would hold him off for a week and not even think to have him suited up, let alone have him as a backup because of their two-game cushion in the conference. So that game's going to lose a lot of its luster. And the Cowboys are three games back. And remember, they already lost to the Eagles early on. So if you're thinking that maybe they have an outside shot to win a division, you can forget about it. So that game is not going to have a lot of sexiness to it. Also, which is not a five-star matchup, but one we're going to have to pay attention to, is Detroit at Carolina. As I mentioned, the Seattles and the Washingtons of the world are trying to fight off and stave a surging Lion team that goes to Carolina at 7-7 and when they were 1-6, and and they want to continue their winning ways against a tough, physical Carolina team that is one game behind the Buccaneers. And it'll be interesting because... That's at 1 o'clock. If Carolina wins that game, there'll be a half game behind the Buccaneers going into their 8-20 matchup on Christmas. So you got to wonder whether or not if Carolina does win on Saturday, what the influence that will mean for a Buccaneer team knowing that they have to win because if they lose, guess what? Carolina will be tied with the Buccaneers for first place in the NFC South, but they will have the advantage because of them beating Tampa early on in the year in Carolina and of course they're going to face off the following week so that's one we're going to have to pay attention to again people are going to look at Detroit Carolina big whoop no Detroit wins they're going to put some pressure on the teams that are ahead of them and with Carolina winning then Tampa's going to have to look and say it's a must win for them to go to Arizona to the desert and beat a third string quarterback to keep themselves a game ahead of the Carolina Panthers in the NFC South. Those are the games, to me, of note. I'm not going to get into New Orleans at Cleveland, Buffalo at Chicago, although Buffalo could trip up here if the Bears run roughshod over the Bill defense, meaning that Justin Fields, if he has a big game on the ground and maybe has some success through the air, who knows? That could be an upset special. I don't think that's going to be the case. But that's one, although I think Buffalo will come out victorious, but would I be surprised if Chicago pulls off a late season upset and considering how many games in a row they lost, I think six in a row. So keep that in mind when we look at the schedule on Saturday. Seattle at Kansas City, that's going to be tough sledding for them, although Kansas City, I get it, it's due to lose. And with their poor performance in Houston last week to where they had to go into overtime, but I would think Kansas City should take care of the Seahawks in their building. Another game that I... Missed, my apologies, Cincinnati at New England. That's a game where the Bengals continue to march along here. 
and have by far the toughest schedule. They got to go to New England. They host Buffalo on a Monday night the following week and then host Baltimore in the final game of the season, which could mean for a home playoff game. And right now they do have a game advantage in the division with the Ravens losing last week. So they want to keep pace in the AFC North. And New England, they're fighting for their playoff lives after that disaster in Las Vegas there at the end of the game. But besides that, Atlanta at Baltimore, uh -uh, not going to get crazy about. And that pretty much wraps up your Saturday schedule. Of course, Las Vegas at Pittsburgh, that's going to have meaning for everything that I mentioned at the very top. And then you have your Saturday games, which I've already discussed. And then your Monday night matchup is the Chargers at the Colts. Bigger game for the Chargers. This is a type of game where they're going to let down big time. I'm not saying that that's going to be the case, but think about last year around this time where I believe they were 8-6 and six and they went to Houston and they laid a giant deuce there on the 50-yard line. And I can see the Colts, as much as they've unraveled here in the last couple of weeks, the 54-point game, 33 in the fourth quarter against Dallas, and as we know there last week in Minnesota, watch them perform on a level to where they upset the Chargers, and would you be surprised? Absolutely not, because that's typical Chargers. It's in their DNA to put up a stinker like this late in the season, knowing that they're trying to get themselves into the postseason for the first time with that quarterback and Justin Herbert and obviously the coach, Brandon Staley. So that is your NFL for Week 16. Of course, we'll come back on Monday to recap it all. Anything else in the NFL news and notes world? Now that pretty much wraps it up. We talked about Tannehill, Jalen Hurts, Zach Wilson, how big of a game that is for him. Two things now that I see this. One, NFL Sunday ticket, which has been on DirecTV for 28 years. And Lord knows I was a DirecTV subscriber for from 2001 to 2017. And the partnership between the NFL and DirecTV will no longer be starting next year. And just for one year, based on what I read, the Sunday ticket is moving to YouTube. So with Amazon Prime being the Thursday night package, the NFL Sunday 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock schedule is going to be streamed on YouTube. They say the prices are probably not going to decrease. And I would think that if you are a YouTube TV subscriber... You'll probably have first dibs on these packages, but I'm sure they're going to promote the hell out of if you purchase the YouTube TV package, you could get the Sunday ticket package at a discounted price. Probably not going to be that much, maybe $20 off, who knows. But boy, YouTube is going to talk about cutting the cord. They are going to have subscribers by the boatload. And who knows with the DirecTV subscriber, will they cut off their package? And I'm sure throughout the last few years, it's gone from having the satellite dish on your rooftop to being streamed or on the go with your tablet, phone, device, etc. And DirecTV, who has had a stranglehold, let's face it, the only reason why you got DirecTV was because of the NFL. And now, that goes by the wayside. So you can only imagine the increase of subscribers by the county, by the city, by the state, by the regions of what YouTube is going to encounter here between now and let's say the middle of August. So that's one thing you want to keep in note and for yours truly because yes, I think it's time to cut the cord and go elsewhere and YouTube TV may be where I'm going to. So that's number one. And the other thing is that the Pro Bowl announcement for the rosters were released last night. And do you think I'm going to spend a nanosecond on this? I think not. I could care less. I'm not going to go down that road. If you're going to say, Jay Reels, come on. The Eagles had eight Pro Bowlers in Dallas and can't. No, no, who cares? I'm not watching the game. And there is no reason to watch the game. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So as I move on, before I even get to the NBA, NHL is actually low-key. Not a lot going on there. And I know you have a couple of things, you know, teams that are streaking and playing well. Carolina's now topped, or actually they're tied atop the Atlantic Division, or excuse me, the Metropolitan Division, my apologies, with the Devils. So they've caught them as they are winners of, I believe, now six in a row. So the NHL is pretty much quiet. NBA, there's a few things to get to as well as golf. But I do want to 
pivot to baseball. Remember earlier how I talked about waking up yesterday morning to receiving the news, the breaking news on Carlos Correa and then of course Franco Harris. Well, here we are, Met fans. I get it that this is probably the moment that we've been waiting for. And for all the years that we've cried to the Wilpons or the AKA coupons because of how cheap they were. And yes, they've had their moments. I understand 2005, they gave Carlos Beltran the $119 million contract and they signed Pedro Martinez and they traded for Carlos Delgado the year after. And it's not as if they've been penny pinchers throughout. Yes, could they have spent a little bit more money throughout the course of the last 15, 18 years? Absolutely. But when Steve Cohen took over and we saw a little bit of that two years ago when they brought in Francisco Lindor and they gave him that contract and then they bring in Max Scherzer and they gave him that contract and then after an 101 win season which fizzled in Atlanta and then bottomed out at home in the wild card round against the Padres I knew that he was going to flex his muscles but I didn't think he was going to inject himself with steroids and creatine and whatever you want to call it to the tune of not only signing Justin Verlander to the tune of not only re-signing Edwin Diaz to a record-breaking contract for a closer, nine figures, no closer in the history of the sport has ever gotten that, to the tune of Brandon Nimmo re-signing him eight years and $162 million, nice player, good player, resourceful player, heads-up player, team guy, etc., but overpaid for that. On top of bringing in the likes of Jose Quintana, two-year deal, all right, $26 million, not much to sneeze at. Five years, $75 million for the best Japanese pitcher out there and a one Kodai Senga, who was introduced to the media the other day. And he is the unknown, but based on his potential and what he did in Japan, let's only hope that he could translate that here to the major league level for a Met team that's going to need an arm that's young, that's not aging, that you have to wonder about their health, i.e. Scherzer and even Verlander. And then, to top it all off, I won't even go as far as Adam Adovino, two years, $15 million, and that's a very good contract. You figure he could have maybe commanded a little bit more, and who knows with relievers, they are up and down. They're like yo-yos. He had a great year last year. We're going to all hold our collective breaths to see if we can come close to that in 2023. And let's hope that's the case. But the mother load being 12 years, $315 million to Carlos Correa, a guy who plays shortstop on a team that already has a shortstop and a very expensive one at that, the aforementioned Lindor. With the Giants, San Francisco that is, 13 years, $350 million deal, about to be introduced to the Bay Area, to the organization, etc., to where they said, time out, we're going to have to postpone this based on some medical information that we received that we're a little bit ambivalent about. And because of that, Met owner Steve Cohen, who had negotiations with Scott Boris, of course the agent that is representing Correa, there were some rumblings about a possible marriage prior to the 13-year deal that the Giants were offering. And then, for what that was worth, he decided to swoop on in to say, what can we do to procure this player, considering everything that he's done to this point of this offseason. So, 12 years, $315 million, let's do it. And the next thing you know, under the Christmas tree with Verlander, with Senga, with Ottavino, with go on down the list, and they traded James McCann, I might add, and thank God, and they're actually saving $5 million on the deal. They traded him to Baltimore in the middle of the night for a player to be named later, and they're going to pay 19 of the $24 million that he's owed, so the Orioles will be on the hook for $5 million, so wow, that saves $5 million to the CBT, the competitive balance tax for this Met team. So when you break it down, the Met payroll, well, before I even get to that, what Steve Cohen has spent this offseason in free agents, whether it's re-signing his own or ones outside of the organization, 
It totals $806.1 million to where the payroll for 2023, it's not $293 million, which is the luxury tax threshold for teams. I mean, that's it. There are three different types of thresholds when it comes to the luxury tax. And this one now being called the Steve Cohen tax, I believe that threshold is like 285 to 297. So the highest payroll in the sport is not 297. It's not an even 300. It's not 325. It's not 350. It's not 375. It's not 380. It is $384 million. Which probably pales in comparison to what the Dodgers, and remember a lot of those players are gone. No Trey Turner. Bellinger is gone. They re-signed Clayton Kershaw one year, $20 million. Big whoop. So they had to guess their payroll's got to be no more than $250 million. The Yankees, even with bringing in Judge and Carlos Rodon, is probably somewhere in that vicinity. The Red Sox, we all know that they've been a small market team here this offseason. Bringing in guys like Justin Turner. The Phillies, yes, they've made a big giant splash this offseason as we've seen. Trey Turner, Taiwan Walker, etc. Their payroll could be right around 250, maybe even a little bit north of that. Let's just say, for argument's sake, they're 275 million. Let's just throw that out there. The Met payroll is $109 million more than that. Think about it. The gap between the Mets and let's say the Phillies, $109 million is probably more than the Rays and Guardians and maybe even, even throw them the Pirates. Their payroll is probably combined. And that's the gap between the Mets and the next team on the list when it comes to the top payrolls in the sport. Now, people are probably saying, Jay Reels, why are you complaining? Why are you bitching? Why are you moaning? Isn't the point of your team wanting to win? Yes, I understand that. And people who have called me a hypocrite on social media, which is not bothering me, people, so I don't want you to think I'm being affected by that. And all these, ah, come on. Here you are, crying wolf, blah, blah, blah. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of just, what the hell are we doing here? Why don't, let's just push our payroll to 500 million. Why not? If that's the case, put it this way. Let's get another pitcher in here. Let's trade Brett Beatty, who's not going to see third base here as we know it because Correa is going to be there for the next dozen years unless you're going to put him at first base. But oh wait, who's placed first base on the Mets? Pete Alonso, who I might add is two years away from free agency. So if you're a Steve Cohen, you might as well just pay him eight years, 200 million to start because if you just paid... Brandon Nimmo, 8 for 162. What do you think Pete Alonso's worth? So let's start there. Bring in Otani. Sign Alonzo. Why not just trade for Mike Trout in the process of bringing in Otani? You could put Trout in center, move Nimmo to left, Canna. You could probably trade him for a bag of balls because you only signed him for a two-year deal. Let's make the payroll 500 million. What the hell? And as we all know, you can't buy championships. It doesn't guarantee a World Series trophy late October into November. Because if that's the case, you might as well just ship it over there right now. Just call up the Houston Astros and say, hey, that trophy that you have there, all right, once the calendar turns to January 1st, when it's officially 2023, just ship it to Queens and we already got this. But we all know that's not the case. And this is why I'm bothered by it. Because Steve Cohen, and I uh, one more time, I understand He's trying to build the winner here. He wants to win. Desperately. 100%. But I talked about this ad infinitum even, not even a week ago. I get it that he's going to sign these free agents. But you want to build your team more like the Atlanta Braves. And I get it. We're in New York. It's Gotham. It's a big market. We can't think small market. But at the same time, why not? As I mentioned, Brett Beatty. Is he going to see the light of day at third base? Or even Ronnie Mauricio, the prize shortstop. All right, he may see second base right now, but guess who plays second base? Jeff McNeil. And I'm sure in two years, he's going to be up for a contract. Are they just going to plug Mauricio in there? Or are they going to sign McNeil to a six-year, $150 million deal? Or more than that? Who knows? So Mauricio's not even going to be a part of this roster. Francisco Alvarez? Who knows? He could be your catcher of the future, 
But again, he's a guy that his stick is better than his glove. And on top of that, if he's going to be a DH, who knows? He may even be your full-time DH, but he's going to be at a premium, but that's for down the road. So I'm not even going to worry about that. But that's the way this team should be built. Look what the Braves have done. Michael Harris, you're a rookie. You win rookie of the year. All right, we lock you up. Eight years, $72 million. Ronald Acuna, big-time rookie season. Eight years, $100 million. All right, they did bring in Matt Olson in a trade. Eight for 168. Okay, Austin Riley, you're going to be our cornerstone third baseman. 10 for 212. Not $300 million. Not $280 million. Not $315, $341, $350 million. Spencer Strider, all right, five years for $75 million. A young starting pitcher where, as we all know, they're at a premium. Max Freed, they're going to end up paying him probably big bucks, but it's not going to be anywhere near what Garrett Cole's making or what annually Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer's going to make. That's how you build a team. And I get it. It's been 36 years since you won a World Series and the Braves won one in 2021. I get it. But again, it doesn't mean and guarantee championships. And that's the problem that I have. You just can't throw money at a superstar and think it's an automatic that you're going to make it not only into the postseason, but win a World Series. And now, before I conclude, dare I even say, if this team in 2023 bottoms out, because guess what? This team has a bullseye in their back. Not only the team, but the organization. And let's call it as we see it. The Mets are now the evil empire. They are. Everybody's going to want this team to fail. Everybody's going to laugh at them. Think about this and all the other sports. When the Lakers brought on Anthony Davis and LeBron, of course they want them to lose. What about when LeBron went to Miami to join forces with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and how they fell flat on their face in the finals against Dallas? The whole world is watching. And they want to see the Mets fail because of this. So we are... Public enemy number one. And yes, I could puff out my chest and be like, yeah, good, bring it on. Not this guy. I just want to win a World Series. I just want to build a team the right way. And yes, if they do happen to be the last team standing in October, am I going to just shut the TV off, walk away, and go to sleep like if nothing happened? Of course not. But in the same breath, I have to say that yes, if they do happen to hoist that trophy over their heads, whether it is at City Field or some American League ballpark, I'm going to say flat out, this is the fruits of Steve Cohen's labor in buying a championship. That's it. That's all there is to it. And I say that now here on December 22nd, 2022. So when the Mets bottom out and they become a laughing stock and let's say they don't make it to the postseason... We'll refer back to this recording on this day. And the whole sports world is going to say, ha, 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 look at you guys. That's what you get for trying to buy a championship. And if they do win, this is what happens when you buy a championship. So there is no room and no margin for error. And unfortunately, as a longtime Met fan, pretty much since birth, I'm going to have to wear that hat for at least this upcoming year. And I'm sure beyond, because if they do not make it to the postseason, you already know the rumors of Otani are going to be coming to Queens in a flash. Uh, Please, I I could already just bank on it. But that's enough. I'm sure you're probably tired of me babbling about this, but it had to be said. And for everything I mentioned about Correa last week, and I killed him in that contract, and not him personally, all right? I'm just talking about professionally. A guy who has been hurt, he's only played 150 games once in his career, Three times he's played over 130 games in his career and he's been in the major leagues eight years. So that's just one, just put that in the back of your memory bank if he does happen to go on the IL, not once but twice this year and you're going to say, ah, he has a history of this. And Steve Cohen is paying him 12 years and $350 million over the course of that contract. Just think about that. I tell you, I I could go on and on about this and I understand, I'll stop right in the next 30 seconds, I promise, but just think, the Dodgers won 111 games last year and they brought in Freddie Freeman to go along with Mookie Betts and et cetera. 111 games and what did that get them? Just think about that. The pressure, the expectations on this team, oh, they are going to be enormous. And one last thing, think about this. 
the left side of the Met infield is worth $656 million. And that's not even including Alonzo when he gets his payday at some point. So you're talking about probably anywhere near $850 million and above for three players. All right, time to pivot. Now, a couple of other Mets have been in the news. Seth Lugo signed a two-year contract with the Padres and very paltry, two years, $15 million. And for what I read, he's going to start. And I know that's what he's been wanting to do for the longest time. So good for him as he moves on to Southern California. Noah Syndergaard, speaking of Southern Cal. Now, this was from last week. I didn't mention this on the podcast Monday, but one-year deal with the Dodgers. Who knows what he has left in his tank. As we know, he's not the same pitcher. The Tommy John, he doesn't have that velocity he once did. And even the aura that he once did. He went from Thor to, I don't know, what you want, Ant-Man? Uh, I'm sorry to call it that way. but And listen, I'm not trying to say that he's not a major league pitcher. He is. But if anybody's thinking that he has that same presence that he had going back to 2015 and before the... Lat injury that he suffered there where he was out for most of the season and then the Tommy John surgery, forget it. He is not that same guy. And Matt Carpenter signed also with the Padres one year, which I think is also a very good pickup where a guy, 37 years of age, he could still hit as we saw last year with the Yankees and he provides some veteran leadership. He's been around winning teams with the Cardinals, so maybe that's what the Padres do need in order for them to get to the next level. That's what I have with the baseball And I would think that from here on out, it's going to be quiet. It's going to be low-key. Obviously, all the big free agents are gone. I'm sure you're probably going to have some minor deals in the days and maybe weeks to come. But all the big-time activity now with Correa signed, and let's see what that press conference is going to be like. I would think probably sometime after Christmas, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday next week. I doubt it would be tomorrow because they would probably want to have their day. They don't want to rush with people traveling and, of course, with Christmas on the horizon. So... I would think next week you'll have the big pomp and circumstance at City Field. So that's it for the baseball. Now let me get to the NBA and a couple other things. NBA, some interesting developments have happened. It's funny, on my TikTok feed, if you watched Tuesday night, or maybe it was Tuesday morning, I posted something about the Phoenix Suns. And there was a report by ESPN stating that there were... A few executives, I don't want to say a lot, but a few executives that have pretty much followed the footsteps of the owner, Robert Sarver, to the inappropriate behavior, to just lascivious and lewd and disgusting, uh, everything. Uh, Everything that you've read about Sarver, it trickled down to the executives there, and ESPN unlocked this report, or uncovered this report, and it made me think. Sarver did put the team up for sale, not only the Suns, but also the Phoenix Mercury. And how nothing was reported over the last five, six weeks, whenever this first came out, I believe, what, a couple months ago? And it made me think that, wait a minute, what is going on here? Now this other report surfaces, and we already know the dirt that Sarver has on himself. What's going on here? And then lo and behold, we do have a guy that came to the forefront And yesterday morning, or maybe it was the day before that, to where you do have a buyer, a mortgage lending guy by the name of Matt Ishbia, I think I pronounced that right, you know me with names, purchasing the Suns and Mercury for $4 billion. Now I understand it also comes with the Mercury, so maybe the bill is going to be a little bit skewed because although it is record-setting, by NBA standards, but bringing on the Mercury as well, where previously Joseph Tsai, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, had the record for purchasing an NBA team, which was $2.35 billion. So with the Mercury in there, you have to include that. If you took the Mercury out, are these Suns worth an even $3 billion? Or maybe $3.5 billion? Because I don't know what a WNBA team costs. I'm sure it's probably somewhere in the... $500 million range, and that's just a guess. But we have a new owner in town. Again, he's a mortgage lending guy, a CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, and good riddance to Sarver and everything that had come out of Phoenix there, not only just recently, but going back a decade with all the just terrible disposition by him, whether it was misogynistic racist, uh, just terrible. Uh, There isn't any 
way else to slice it and dice it. And I'm not going to get on the Daniel Snyder wagon because I know that was also recently released about some other behavior that's gone on in Washington and the NFL is going to have to deal with that. But I would only hope that what we've seen here, and I get it, the NBA is on a mountaintop all by themselves compared to the other sports. But maybe, just maybe, they could see what's happened here and could there be a groundswell to just get Daniel Snyder out of Washington. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So good riddance to Sarver. Let him rot. He's going to have $4 billion to chew on. So it's not as if he's going to be crying on a deserted island in his Ferrari somewhere. The same for all those executives because I'm sure he's going to buy them out for whatever it is. And now let's move on and let's see what Ishbia is going to do as the new kid on the block when it comes to owning an NBA franchise. I don't know what's happening with the Warriors, but... If you paid attention the last two nights, especially here in New York City, to where he lost to the Knicks at the Garden by 38, and then last night to the Nets by 30, I get it, no Steph Curry, and I don't believe Klay Thompson played last night, but the Warriors, who are 1-5 on this road trip, 3-16 and 16 on the road, and 15-18 and 18 overall, you gotta wonder whether or not, and I don't want to just base it all on the punch from Draymond Green to Jordan Poole, but... There has to be something going on more than what we know or what we're privy to because this is just a joke. We get it. We talk about championship hangover, Super Bowl hangover, things of that nature. And the Warriors have been down this road before, especially with the elder statesmen of the team. It's not as if this is the first go around for a team that hasn't won a title in so long and now they're feeling the after effects of it. No, not the case. But you do have that Blend of young talent, Jordan Poole's, Jonathan Kaminga's, now James Wiseman, who had a career-high 30 last night in Brooklyn. You have the Moses Moody's of the world. You have those guys, and then you have the older guys, the Thompsons, Curry's, Green's. I'll even throw in the Andrew Wiggins because he's been in the league a long time. Who knows? Maybe he's closer to the younger guys on the team. That I do not know. But there has to be something that's going on in that locker room to where maybe has Draymond Dream checked out? Maybe he's looking forward to the offseason so he can sign elsewhere. That he's tired of all this nonsense. He's tired of dealing with the younger guys. I say, who knows? But 15 and 18, this is a joke. It's inexcusable. And I get it. You have slow starts. You have bad moments. Remember, they beat the Celtics there Saturday night. And the Celtics have lost five out of six, including getting... Uh, they didn't get blown out by Indiana last night. But five out of six, they were 21 and five. And now they're 22 and 10. But the... Warriors, now you have to be concerned. Who knows what's going to happen with Curry and his health with his shoulder? How long he's going to be out for? And with the way that they've played, all right, you could lose a bad game to the Knicks, and the Knicks have played well, though they lost last night to Toronto. But to get blown out Tuesday night by 38 and the last night by 30? Come on. You got to be better than that. And I think those are the biggest blowouts by a defending NBA champ in the history of the sport. And not that that matters, or is that a big stat at the end of the day? No, I only bring it up is because, come on, it's embarrassing the way they performed. So I had to throw that in there. And then lastly, the 2023 Hall of Fame nominees have been for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Now remember, this isn't the Pro or NBA Basketball Hall of Fame. This is overall. So it's college, pro, women's, etc. And the list that you have here, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, they're going in on roller skates. Greg Popovich, who is deserving, but he's still coaching. Why is he on this list if he is still a member of the coaching fraternity in the NBA? To me, I don't understand that. And that's not to say he's not worthy. We all know he is. I mean, please, come on. Greg Popovich is an all-time great coach. But you would think that he would retire and then a couple of years go by and then, okay, fine, Popovich will have his day. But to me, to have that right off the bat, I'm a little surprised. And then you also have Tony Parker, who is a nominee, as well as Paul Gasol. And those two guys are going to get in. And I understand that Parker, the guard that he was, played on all those championship teams, the run that he had there with Tim Duncan, Mano Ginobili, who was inducted last year, and now with Popovich on the horizon, 
maybe this is a scenario where they want to have them both go in at the same time and you could debate on whether or not Parker is an all-time great or worthy of the Hall of Fame but every seems like everybody gets in the Hall of Fame this day and age and Parker has had all-star seasons I don't know if he's had all-NBA seasons maybe third team but in my book I'd have to really concentrate on his stats and once it's official then I'll really take a good look not that I'd want to throw ice cold water on him being enshrined in Springfield, Massachusetts but yeah, I call it as we see it and you know me I'm a hard marker when it comes to the Hall of Fame and Pau Gasol for what he's done internationally representing Spain two-time NBA champ Great big man. Was he dominant? Because that's how I base it, people, as far as making the Hall of Fame. Again, they're going to bring these guys in. That's just how it is. And right, I'm not trying to be a curmudgeon or trying to be like, ah, he wasn't. No, I'm not saying that. But And we've seen the guys are very good players and borderline great. But are they automatic locks? When you hear names like Kobe, Shaq, Duncan, Malone, Bird, Magic, Wilt, Russell, Jordan. Before the syllable comes out of your mouth, it's automatic. Tony Parker? Eh. Pau Gasol? Mm. I mean, come on. Who are we kidding here? And then lastly, I want to get to the golf real quick because the Masters announced a day or so ago that they're going to allow the live golf players to play at Augusta come April. Are you surprised? I know I wasn't. And of course, this is going to be based on previous Masters victories, whether your name is Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Bubba Watson. We all know that they've won the tournament, so they are automatically going to play. And if you've won a major tournament in the past five years, so that would be Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed is another one. Those guys have won U.S. Opens and won major tournaments, so they're going to go in without a doubt. So now it begs the question, does the PGA, U.S. Open, and the Open, formerly known as the British, do they do the same thing? If they do not want to cut their nose despite their face, they're going to bring these guys for these tournaments. Now I understand they're not going to play in the Valero Open or they're not going to play the Honda Classic down in Florida. I get it. They're not going to play in these smaller tournaments, the LA Open, which I understand they're big on the PGA circuit, but as far as them playing those tournaments, you're not going to see them and the PGA will stand pat. So for... The other three major tournaments, are they going to follow suit of what the Masters are doing? And as we all know, the Masters are their own, they're in their own stratosphere. They look down upon the PGA tournament or the PGA championship, the Open, and the U.S. Open. It's like, we're the Masters and they're everybody else. And of course, Augusta, the tradition unlike any other. So of course, they're going to flex their muscle and say, huh, yeah, we're bringing those guys on board. Why? Why not? Because we know it's going to bring excitement. It's going to bring a pedigree because these guys have won, etc. So if you're surprised, you shouldn't be. And I'm not, but let's just see what the PGA on a whole is going to do as far as the other three tournaments. And they have time because it's not until May, June, and July, but the Masters have acted. So for the PGA, which is the Next tournament in the month of May, you're on deck. Followed by the U.S. Open and the Open as to what they're going to do here for the 2023 tour and the major tournaments. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books, as always. Many thanks for you guys and gals stopping by. Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. Thank you so much for listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could do so at the following on social media. The J Reels Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, as well as Facebook, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. That's the email address that you could contact me. I'll be more than happy to follow up. 
And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so, which I will have a post coming up here right before Christmas where I will detail what lies ahead for 2023 and how you could possibly contribute. If you want to do so, again, it's patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about the passion, the fire, the fury, the energy coming into this microphone through your earbuds of speakers on all that's going on in the world of sports. That's right. My thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises on what goes on in the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, happy holidays, everybody. Peace, love, and God bless. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.